Let me say hi to the balcony. What's up, guys? Love you. Glad you're here. Hello, everyone. Uh, It's my privilege to bring you God's Word this morning. We are talking about um, abiding in Christ, and we're continuing our series uh, in discipleship, looking at these seven commands of Jesus that we think define the life following Him. Uh, We come and see, we've said. Jesus invites us to Himself. And then He says, ask, seek, knock. Uh, Take your desires, your questions, your doubts, and come to me, to them earnestly, because I want to meet you in that space. He says, turn and trust. There's ways you're living your life that aren't working out for you, but come to me. I'm going to show you a different, different way. Trust in me. Find salvation in me. Follow me, he says. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. And today he, he commands us, abide in me. There's some Sundays when I, I get up here and I'm so excited to share with you a particular insight from the text that I've found that week that I think will really open up the, the scripture for a person and give them a, a, a new insight or a new door into it and That's not what excited me today. What excites me today, and I think what should excite you, is just that Jesus said these things. So like the highlight, I thought, man, what would, we don't need, what we need is a sanctified imagination to imagine as these words are being read, that Jesus is saying these things to you. Because these are his words. And by His Spirit, He's making them fresh to you this morning. Everything else that's going to be said afterwards is just, it's just because i got to say something, I guess. Um, But the highlight is to hear the words of King Jesus read right now. So John chapter 15, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 17. This is God's word, and these are the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, 
He is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down their life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The words of King Jesus. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you be with us this morning? Would would your word abide in us? And bear fruit. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. I was thinking about that. And it made me think of the lamp in my living room. And the lamp wouldn't light up like it was supposed to. So I did what any man does. I tried to fix the lamp. And I went and I got the new light bulbs that I had recently purchased from Ace Hardware. And I brought the light bulb over to the lamp. And I replaced the light bulb. And the lamp would not turn on. So I thought, well, maybe it's a faulty bulb. This bulb might be faulty. So I went back and I got another light bulb. Have you ever done this? And I brought the second light bulb over to the lamp and I tried to put the light bulb in and it didn't, it didn't go. So then I pretended to know about lamps and to see if there was something else wrong with it. 
I thought maybe something wrong with the connections, but I don't even know what that means. So I, I start to study the lamp and just make sure everything's right with the lamp and that there's no wires hanging out. And then I take the shade off of the lamp. And oh no, it's not the shade. The shade's fine. And then I then I clap. Just I may maybe it was one of the clapping lamps that I had forgotten about the clapping lamp lighting. And then uh, of course, you know, the last thing I look at is what? With a plug. It wasn't plugged in. And so, you know, 40 minutes in, I fixed it. I did. I fixed it. Um, you got you to gotta plug it into the source. I could have I worked on that lamp all day long. And it would have never done its thing if it wasn't plugged into the source. That's what we're like with the Lord. Jesus says, I'm the the vine, I'm the source of life and love and joy and peace in your life. I'm what gives you contentment, meaning. I'm what gives you fruit. And all you have to do is abide in me. And we, you know what we do, we just, we don't have joy in our life, we don't have love, we don't have fruit in our life, and so we go and we change the light bulbs in our souls and we try different strategies and we read all these different books and we work ourselves into a tizzy, um, trying all these new fangled things when what we need to be is connected to the source. Sometimes it's a lot simpler than you think to figure out what's troubling you. And what's troubling most of us is that it's been a long time since we've truly been connected to Jesus. Uh, So John calls us to abide in our Savior. And to take our life and to like gather up the roots of our lives and to plunge it into the vine that is Christ. And to find life. And so we want to talk about what it means to abide in Christ so that we can bear fruit for Him. And uh, man, we could stay in this text for months, but we got like 20 minutes, so here we go. Abiding in Christ begins with grace. That's the first thing you need to know about abiding in the vine, is that it begins with grace. If you were an Israelite and you would have heard Jesus say, I am the true vine, you wouldn't have just thought that that was a great sermon metaphor. And you wouldn't have thought about just the vineyard down the street or the vine growing in your garden. You would have thought about yourself and your own calling. Because the vine was an image throughout the Old Testament for who God's people were meant to be. And what they were called to do in the world. Over and over in the Old Testament you get this image of of Israel as being this vine in the world that's there to, 
to bear God's fruit in the world, to be like the wine of God in the world, bringing the joy of God's kingdom to the world that he made. You are the vine, it says, all the time in the Old Testament, and that God is, has planted you and he's done everything to make sure that Israel would bear fruit. He gave them the covenants and the law and his presence and the worship and the sacrifices. And how did they do with all that? What kind of fruit did they bear in the world? What's interesting about the vine language is every time that it's used in the Old Testament, it's used negatively. It, it, it comes along with the idea that Israel didn't bear the fruit that they were supposed to bear. And so if you were an Israelite and you heard vine terminology, it would, it would be like an indictment. You've always heard it as a pronouncement of judgment. And so to hear Jesus say, I am the true vine, he takes this, this imagery and he kind of turns it on its head. He says, I am the true vine. What you have been unable to do and unable to accomplish, I am going to do for you. So that you can be who God meant you to be through connection to me. I am the true vine is nothing short than a gospel declaration. Like he enters into like this banner of failure over the lives of these people. Like you're a crappy vine. You bear terrible fruit. He goes under that banner and he says, I've got this. I am the true vine. You have been unable to be fruitful in the way that God desires. But listen, I'm rescuing you. I'm rescuing this image for you that has been surrounded now by judgment and failure. You haven't been able to be the vine you've meant to be. But now you can be through me. That's an important thing to hear. Um, Because I think most of us, when when we hear this language about abiding in Christ, we can feel the same way that Israel did about being the vine. Because we haven't been very good at abiding with Jesus. Some of us can just hear the language of, you got to abide in me, and I'm the, the vine, and I'm your source, and it just, the very first thing you think of is, I haven't been very good at that. I haven't been a very good branch. I'm not very good at praying. I've, it's been a long time since I've opened the Bible. It's been a long time since I've borne the fruit that I'm supposed to be. I'm just a bad branch. I'm not a good vine. And Jesus just says, listen, I get it. You, it's true. You can't go and be in the presence of a holy God all by yourself and bear the fruit you're supposed to bear in your own life. But listen, I've made a way. And through connection with me, you can be who you are called to be. 
What's crazy, man, is when we, when we think we've offended someone, we, we avoid. Like my kids do that. I can tell when my kids have done something bad before I know what it is. Because they're like worried. They're not running to me like they should run to me. When we offend, we avoid. And Jesus, it's so, he's so amazing to me. He says, there is no reason to avoid God. When you have offended me, you should abide. Not avoid. Come abide with me. You don't have to wait till you're cleaned up. And bearing all the fruit before you come, you come to me so that you can get what you need in order to be cleaned up and to bear fruit. And so abiding in Jesus begins with this idea of grace. That every day I need a fresh declaration of his mercy and his forgiveness I need to remember the first thought in my head when I get up is that Jesus has done the heavy lifting. (laughs) He is the true vine. As it relates to my relationship with God, He has done everything I need to be able to enter the presence of a holy God and just enjoy myself. And feel like I belong. And so we... We begin with grace, and then we abide in love. This is verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. This is some of the most amazing stuff in the scriptures right here. Um, You're aware that our God exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they really like one another. They are into one another. They have for all eternity been in a loving relationship of fellowship, friendship, love, and abiding care. The intensity of divine love shared between three persons. And what Jesus is saying is that the love that's shared between the Father and the Son and the Son and the Spirit and the Father and the Spirit and the Spirit and the Son is what I have with you and what I'm inviting you into. It's not just normal love. It's the quality of the love. It's Trinitarian love. So I can say I love you, congregation. And that's true. But I don't love you like I love my wife. Like with my wife, it's just this complex blend of intimacy and passion and friendship. I love my wife. I don't love you like that. But Jesus takes the highest form of love, divine love, Trinitarian love, and says, I love you like that. Abide in my love. The Father, that the, the love that the Father has for me 
remain in my love. It's amazing. If, that, if Jesus didn't say it, I'd be like, that doesn't, that's not in the Bible. The only way I would believe that is if that came off the lips of Jesus. Because I don't need God to love me like that. He could just love me normal-like. He could just love me like a buddy. And I'd be like, God, that's good. <laughs> I'm fine. But he loves me like this. And it is this love that he is calling us to. He's reminding us of it. And he's calling us to abide in it. And it's a command. He's like, remain in my, it's the best command ever. Stay in my love. And why does he command us? Because we need to remember. When I thought about this, I thought of, you know, I thought of two passages in the scriptures. I thought of Luke chapter 10. So Jesus has just sent out the 72 disciples to, to bear his kingdom and his healing and his love and his power to the nation of Israel. And they come back, and you remember, they're super excited because they stepped out in faith. Jesus said, I'm going to give you power to do all kinds of things. And they stepped out in faith, and they did it, and it happened. So they come back to Jesus, and they're like, we did it. We cast out demons. We were able to heal folks. We preached the gospel of the kingdom and people responded. And Jesus said that, well, he said, that's good. Anytime Satan loses ground, that's good. But that's not what you should rejoice in. Do you remember what he says? What should you rejoice? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Why does that matter? Why does he say don't rejoice in all this spectacular stuff? Because what if it doesn't happen tomorrow? What if you try to cast out the demon tomorrow or heal the thing tomorrow or you preach the gospel tomorrow and the person doesn't come to Christ? Are you not rejoicing then? He's like, no. No. Your joy isn't found in what you produce for me. It's found. In that your name is written in heaven. And then I thought about uh, in John chapter 6. It's very similar. Jesus' disciples are just getting antsy with Jesus because he's not doing much. He's just like healing people and hanging out with them and telling them parables about farms and stuff. And they're like, well, let's get on with eternal life. He says, uh, what, what, what must we do? Just tell me what to do. What must we do to do the work that God requires? That's what they asked Jesus. And you know what he says? He says, the work of God is this, that you believe in the one he has sent. That you believe in the one he has sent. And that belief, as you read through John, that's an active thing. It's like getting the truth of who Jesus is into our bones. And it's the deep need of our soul. In my second, so I'll say this, in my second decade in ministry, and my fourth decade of just like being a human person, what I have found is that the greatest 
obstacle to our discipleship is that we, we don't yet have in our bones this sense that we are loved by God. We, we intellectually get grace and we, we get love, but we don't abide and remain in that love. And striving to cultivate that sense of love is the most important thing that we can do because everything in the Christian life flows from it. Love flows from it. Obedience flows from it. Fruit flows from it. Security flows from it. And so he says the greatest work of your life is to believe in who I am and in what I've done. And uh, Frederick Dale Bruner, who's, who's this great commentator on the Gospel of John, he takes this Greek word believe, like the work is to believe, and he says the best modern word to kind of grasp this concept is relax. Like what is the work that God, that Jesus has for us to do? Relax into my love. Abide in my love. Take seriously in the midst of your stress and anxiety and the chaos of your love life. Relax into me. That's what God requires of us. Not to intellectually accept some doctrinal truths, but to get God's love into our bones so that it can do its deep healing work of giving us a sturdy identity and rework and rewriting our family history and saving us from that like insensitive, like incessant need that we have to to be needed by one another and to be and to seek approval. It's just fitting, man, that John is the one writing about all this because in just a few chapters after this text, John's there at the Last Supper and it's a chaotic time. There's a, the city is tense because Jesus has just entered into the city and said, I'm going to like blow up the temple and I'm going to die. And everybody's pursuing him, and there's people trying to murder Jesus. It's a very dark and uncertain time. And, and, and uh, Jesus comes up and brings all of his disciples into the upper room, and they're sharing the Last Supper. And Jesus says, this is, he takes the bread and says, this is like my body that's going to be broken for you. How confusing that would be for these disciples. And in the midst of this confusion and all of this uncertainty and the le- this legitimate cause for worry, do you know what John is doing? Do you remember? He's leaning into the chest of Jesus. Literally relaxing into the heart of his rabbi. Like this living picture of what it means to abide in his love. And so what does that look like? Because we don't have like Jesus right here to lean into. So what are we, what does it look like for us to abide in his love? And man, if there's certain things I can tell you about that. Like there's, the Bible is involved. Prayer is involved. But after that, it's kind of a free-for-all. It's going to look different for everybody. But this is what I will 
this is what I will say. It has to do with enjoying God, not just learning about Him. I find with like modern Christians, because we have so much content, there's so many books, so many sermons we can listen to, so many podcasts, that when we give ourselves an hour to be with God, which we very rarely do, but if we get an hour to be with God, what we do is we consume Christian content. And, at, and we believe that because we've done that, that we just abided with Jesus. But take, taking content in isn't abiding. It's learning. And learning can be a doorway to abiding, but you've got to take the next step. You get the insight from the sermon that stirs your heart, and you don't just let it go to the next sermon on the podcast. You stop, and then you go up the mountain to be with the Lord. You're reading the scriptures, and you come to that thing that's electric to you in your heart, and you don't keep going. You stop, and you enjoy. And you delight. You say, thank you, God, for that insight. It's like a doorway into heaven. It's like something that connects the dead branch of my life back into the vine. And now I have life. When you have time to abide, don't abide with Tim Keller. Don't abide with Andy Stanley or Tim Mackey or whoever your person is. That's not... To abide with them is okay, (laughs) but it's not the same thing as abiding with Jesus. And so you take these insights, you let it drive you to him so that you're living life on two levels, so that your life is chaotic and crazy and broken, but what you have is the Lord's, you've been with the Lord. And you have his word, that insight, that truth. It's now in your heart. It's remaining with you because you've been with the Lord. You've been with the Lord. And so uh, the, the world doesn't need disciples with more information about God. There's more, we have more access to Christian content than any of the, like, the saints that went before us. And yet their lives were so profoundly full of fruit. Why? It's because they just did the abiding thing. They, they abode. Is that, like a, is that the, what you do? I don't know. They, just, they were with Jesus more often than we were with Jesus. Um, and so that's what you do. You accept his grace as an invitation to abide with him in his love. And the next thing you do is you conspire with the gardener to bear fruit. You conspire with the gardener to bear fruit. Bearing fruit is a big deal in this passage. It's like the point of the abiding. And it is seen as the natural consequence to being vitally connected to the vine. So the idea is just simple. Like if you are vitally connected to the vine, not always. Uh, there's like winter seasons and there's seasons where there's no fruit, but fruit will come. 
fruit will come. So in verse 2, in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 8, in verse 16, it all works on, it's all talking about fruit. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. I love that verse because it's not us abiding. It's the fruit that's abiding there that lasts. So good. Fruit is the result of a life that abides. And uh, we're given a sense of the kind of fruit. It's the fruit of obedience. Like being with Christ motivates this love in our hearts to be able to, to follow the commandments of, of Christ. Uh, the fruit is love. He says, if you are, abide with me, you will love like I love. Why do we love? Because he first loved us, right? This is, we, we abide in his love and we can't help but give what we've been given. We have to imagine that it's the fruit of character. That this is kind of what, that this is probably what Paul's riffing on in Galatians chapter 5 when he's, when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And, and I, it's the mission of Christ. It's the fruit of the kingdom of God. And so this whole passage from 13 on in John, what, what Jesus is doing is he's handing over the mission to the disciples. And he's saying, I'm about to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that through the Spirit you can abide in me and continue my work in the world. And so it, this is the, the, just everything that Jesus did, like the good works that we're called to do in the Sermon on the Mount that people see and give glory to our Father in heaven. And so we're looking for fruit when we're abiding. And I say we conspire with the gardener to bear fruit because it's clear that in Jesus' mind the gardener has a role to play in our life. So it's not just the vine and the branches, but there's this third character that he mentions in verse 1 and verse 2, which is the gardener, the vine dresser, and the old KJV, the husbandman, who like walks around the vineyard, the vine and the branches, and tends to them and ensures that the vine's doing what it's supposed to do. And so when I think about abiding with the Lord, I think it's not just receiving from Him, but it's coming alongside of Him in His work. And it's believing that He is active in my life. That He has gone before you and prepared opportunities in your life each day for you to bear fruit for Him. And part of abiding with him is just keeping that to the top of my mind. That throughout the day, I'm trying to interact with God, who is the gardener in my life. And he's been moving. He's been preparing the way for me in every interaction that I have. 
He's, he's designed that day, and there's fruit there to be had. And so, you know, I had a mentor once say to me that every time they walk into a room, they ask this question, where, where God have you been working in advance to extend your kingdom? And that's where I want to be. A life of abiding with God is you're conspiring with God and you're having, you're having thoughts like that. When you meet somebody and you're like, why are you interrupting my day? I had a day and it was planned and I'm going to bear this kind of fruit. But, that inter- but everything in your life is from Jesus. It's from, there's a gardener and he put that person in your life. And you're supposed to be curious about, Lord, what am I... How am I supposed to interact with this person? I'm looking at Mark Pomeroy right now. He is like the master ninja at this part. Ever when you hang out with him, he's, he's, it kind of makes me uncomfortable how connected he is to the Lord because he'll just think, oh, I'm supposed to ask this person if I can pray for them. And uh, I never, I hardly ever do that. I, I wait like six months of creating the friendship and having the love and making sure that they know who I am because I don't want to bust it up. And he's just like, hey, they're in the, he's in the locker room. They got towels around. It's very uncomfortable. And he's just like, hey man, can I pray for you? And they're like, and usually they're like, yeah, I have this thing going on in my life. He's just sensitive to the spirit. He's abiding with the Lord. He's thinking the gardener went before him and prepared the ground for him to bear fruit. It's an exciting way to live. It's an exciting way to live. Because you never know what's there. Oh man, Henry Nouwen has this. So we want to, we're always trying to discern God's will for our life. He had a quote that I thought of when I was thinking about this point. He said, if you want to discern what God is up to in your life, pay attention to the people God puts in your path. That's like, that's it. That's what God's doing. It's not some secret thing. That is what God's doing in your life. He's the vine dresser. Um, and so at, at the end of the day, I'm like, did I bear fruit? That's a good question. Did I offer peace today? Was I attentive to the Lord's presence today? Was I conspiring with him? Was I aware that he was active in my life? Um, it's also clear that he just doesn't prepare the ground, but he does whatever it takes for us to bear fruit in our lives. And this is the... This is the verse about pruning. Part of conspiring with God is trusting Him in seasons of loss and in seasons of pain and suffering that He too is active in those spaces for our good and for our well-being. He does more than cut. He waters and He tends and He weeds But when it says he prunes, what it's saying is he'll do whatever it takes for you to grow, for you to grow. And I just, 
Suffering has a way of driving us to Jesus. Not necessarily. Suffering can make you mean. Suffering can make you grumpy. Suffering can make you hardened in your heart. But suffering can also drive us very deeply into the vine of Jesus. And it can make us a person of joy and love and peace and patience and humility. In fact, I don't know of a person who is resilient and beautiful in that way who has not suffered. The deepest, sweetest moments of communion in my life have been the darkest days when I have felt my need for Jesus the most. And in my short time of being a pastor, I have never known someone to say, my deepest moments of communion with Jesus have been on sunny days. It's not a testimony that I've heard very often. But it's been in the moments of crisis and loss and desperation that I've been driven to Him. So conspiring with the gardener, is also trusting that in every aspect of my life, He is at work, making me the person that He is calling me to be. He is not absent from my life. He is present, pruning, cultivating the garden of my soul. And He says He does this all, what time is it? He does this all for our joy. For our joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We spend most of our lives seeking happiness. And that's why we don't abide in Jesus. We we seek happiness, which is different. Happiness is fine, but it's fleeting and it's fragile. Happiness has to do with the circumstances of your life. Joy, what Jesus wants to bring into our life, has to do with ultimate spiritual realities. It has to do with things that can never be taken away from you. It has to, it has to do with everything that He's accomplished for you, who you are in Him, where you're going in your life. He's here for your joy. And you were made for Him. That's what it, when he's asking you to abide in him, he's not asking for you to do anything that's bad for you. <laughs> he is asking for you to seek your greatest joy. Because your soul was made to be in communion with him. And so the God, the God of the universe takes seriously your joy, your deepest joy and your greatest good. But man, he doesn't just say, I want joy for for you. This is what's amazing to me. The text doesn't stop there. And it's super duper important to see what happens next. He says that he places his joy in us. That stops the train. That's like, what did the Bible just say? He puts his joy in us. It's not just that our joy is found in God. It's that He takes His joy in communion with us. It means that God in His like freely... 
He freely chooses to somehow desire that his experience of joy can't be apart from you and me. It's an incredible statement to make. And how, how far will God go to keep his joy in you? <laughs> and that is just the gospel. It, Jesus says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's you. And then, at the, you know, we remember at the Last Supper, he said, I'm not going to drink from the fruit of the vine until I can share the joy with you in heaven. He is so committed to your joy and to you being with him. It's amazing that your joy may be full. So how do we conclude? Well, we go back to where we began. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, they, it, they bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. We want joy, don't we? I want love. I want to live a purposed life for Jesus. But how we normally go about those things is we strive and we hustle and we worry and we work and we do what the world says. Measure up. Be better. Get after it. There is so much anxiety in this room right now. So much worry. We're stressed out. And Jesus just says, it's not that hard. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Just connect with me. Connect your life to me and remember who you are. And let my love and my power and my spirit flow to you. Rest in me. Abide in me. I just think, you know, I don't know what this is over here. What are these? I'm going to say it was a fruit-bearing branch. It wasn't. But look at it now. It doesn't look like it's doing very good. And what if we all just came around it and just like started pouring water on it? What if all of us, I don't know, a hundred of us or something, just stressed out and just like, oh, you got to do it. We got it. We did everything we could. We can't bring it back to life. I mean, it looks pretty. Whoever did this, it looks good. I'm not saying that you didn't do a good job because <laughs> it, it's great. You just got to, but, 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 but fruit bearing trees aren't stressed out. Like I was just, look up pictures of vineyards and just be like, are they stressing out right now? It's the most peaceful pictures in the world of these vines on these trellises, just bearing fruit. And there's always like a sunset in the back of the picture. It's very peaceful because it's resting in him. But, but it's also incredibly difficult because everything in this world is conspiring against you having an hour 
to just be with the Lord. We, I forget what the latest statistics are, like the median of like when, we, when a person reaches for their phone. I don't know how they assess this. The last thing I like, the normal person reaches for their cell phone about 2,000 times a day. And that's your median. I don't know what it is for heavy users. We have to at least reach out to Jesus at least that many times a day. At least that many times a day. Like when I'm in the restroom, I have my phone. I should just be abiding. Maybe you don't think that. That's a moment to abide with Jesus somehow. And I'm just on my phone. And maybe I'm, maybe it's content. I don't, you don't need content. You don't need any more content. You have the best, you have the access to the best Christian teachers in the world at your fingertips. Listen to that sermon and then abide. Then take an hour and walk around Holmes Lake and be with Jesus and get it into your heart. Because it is the one thing that matters. Everything else flows from it. David said, I have one thing. I have one thing. I'm just praying for one thing. That I can dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Inquire of him. Look at his beauty and stuff. And he's, he's in the middle of a war. And this is what he wants. Because this is what is going to make his heart come alive. Abide in me. Let me pray. Jesus says, uh, you say abide, Jesus. And we want to. We feel the goodness of the command. We feel it deeply in our bones. And uh, maybe we feel like we haven't abode well with you. Maybe we feel like it's been a long time since we've taken that time with you. But you start with grace. And you say, come into me. And then you say, abide in my love. Like I've opened up the doorway 